Welcome back to Series 4 of the Evening Under Lamplight Podcasts with Robert Louis Abrahamson as we make our way together through Dante's Purgatorio. We're at the second canto now where we begin to get a taste of what Dante is going to encounter as he climbs up that mountain of cleansing. Canto 1 ended as Dante finished his initial preparations cleansing himself from the grime of hell and putting on the supple green reed belt of humility. Canto 2 begins, like Canto 1, with an assessment of the sky, a complex account to tell us that the sun is just rising up above the horizon and the white and red colours of dawn are turning to golden light. They were turning golden, he says, as the day was growing older. Dante and Virgil are still standing there at the shore, like, Dante says, like people who are moving along in their imagination, but their bodies are still just standing there. What's keeping them back? Maybe they're meant to linger a few minutes longer so they can see what is about to happen. The morning is hazy over the sea, but Dante can just make out, far out there, a bright light. He turns to question Virgil about this, and when he looks back again, that light is considerably closer and brighter, and on either side of that one light are other white lights, and below it he can see, gradually coming up into view, yet another light. Virgil has nothing to say in, in explanation, but as soon as it becomes clear what that white light represents, he instructs Dante to bend his knee and place his hands in the position of prayer. This is an angel coming, guiding and propelling a ship, using just his wings, no sails or oars. The closer he comes, the brighter he becomes, so bright that Dante can't look on him and turns his eyes downward. The boat, which is so swift and so light that it makes no waves, comes to shore, and Dante makes out more than a hundred souls on board, singing Psalm 114 when Israel came out of Egypt and the house of Jacob from among the strange people, a psalm about deliverance out of captivity into freedom. The angel then blesses them, and they all jump out onto the shore, and the angel with the boat immediately departs. All those souls who have just disembarked are standing there in wonder, looking around at this strange new place. The sun is now shining down brightly as these new people look over towards Dante and Virgil and, naturally enough, I suppose, ask them for directions on how to proceed up the mountain. Ha, oh, says Virgil, you think we know what's going on here, do you? Actually, we're strangers here ourselves, just arrived, but via a rougher road than the one you've taken. So rough, in fact, that climbing up this enormous mountain is going to seem a playtime for us. The souls, looking at Dante, notice that he's breathing, and they turn pale with wonder. I myself wonder what color they had been as shades of the dead before they turned pale. Well, they all crowd around Dante, gaping at him, a living person in this land of the afterlife. Then one of these people comes up to Dante with a look of great affection, making as if to embrace him, and Dante puts his arms out to embrace him back. But his arms embrace nothing, 
and come back again three times back to his own chest. What's going on? The, the shade of the person steps back to keep Dante from trying this futile embrace, but Dante goes forward as if to try the embrace one more time. No, says the shade, stop trying that. And at that point Dante finally recognizes who it is. Don't go yet, he says to him. Stick around and let's talk for a little bit. I loved you when I was alive, and I love you still, says the shade. Yes, of course I'll stay and talk, but tell me, what are you doing on this journey? Dante's reply has, for one thing, the purpose of identifying who this soul is. Oh, my Casella, he says, and that's all the identification we're given. I'll speak further about this in a few minutes. And as we saw so often in the Inferno, questions often go unanswered or get quick, short answers as people press on with questions of their own. Dante tersely says he's on this journey so that he can come to purgatory and then to heaven once again, that is, after he dies. In other words, this journey is not for its own sake, but so that he can attain to his highest good. But, adds Dante, throwing out his own question now, but why are you just coming here now? You died several months ago. It's a good question. Castella's answer, however, is, is, is not really very clear. All he can say is that while the souls of the dead who are saved gather together by the port of Rome, the angel chooses which souls he'll take on board for the next journey to the mountain, and which souls he'll be leaving behind for a while. Okay, says Dante, but if this new arrangement has not yet deprived you of memory or skill in the love songs you were so good at, songs that soothed all our sorrow, then can you please give us one of these songs to comfort my poor soul, which needs some restoration after all I've been through? And Casella begins to sing a song, actually one of Dante's own love poems that Casella apparently had set to music. He's as good a singer as ever, and Dante and Virgil and all the others gathered there feel eased of all their troubles, as under a kindly spell. It's, it's a wonderful moment of the inner joy that comes from beauty. But then Cato shows up again, the voice of duty, taking precedence over any kind of pleasure. What's going on here, he demands. What's going on with all this delay? Get moving to the mountain and get rid of all those stains that hide what's godly in you. Oops, like birds suddenly startled, who all rise up together, these souls immediately turn from the singing, Casella among them, and rush to the mountain. Dante and Virgil, too, rush there just as rapidly. And here the canto ends, just as the story is really beginning. The shape of the canto breaks down into three sections, with an introductory part. As in the last canto, we begin by looking to the heavens, registering the position of the sun. There are several geographical and astrological references, which of course add meaning to the events, but I think they're a little too complicated for us to attend to on these brief podcasts. When you read one of the good annotated editions, as I hope you will, you will find notes to help explain these references. Then we have the three parts of the canto proper, the arrival of the ship, the encounter with Casella, 
and the interruption by Cato with the subsequent rush to the mountain. The sun has now risen, and the shift from rosy dawn to golden sunrise is described as the aging of time, or we might say the ripening of time. We must always be alert to the movement of time in the Purgatorio. Dante wants us to keep in mind that time is moving on, purgatory being the only one of the three states of afterlife where time still exists. The souls here are, like all of us still alive, undergoing change, but unlike us still alive, who change sometimes for better and sometimes for worse, these souls are changing only for the better. They are ripening into perfection bit by bit. We may be uncertain about where the changes are leading us, but these souls here know clearly and certainly that all the changes they suffer are for the better, and are leading them closer to heaven, that is, to the great love that has all along been shaping their lives. And with the coming of the sun also comes this mysterious boat, the lighter craft that Charon had referred to back in the Inferno, when Dante took his boat across the river Acheron over to the land of dead and damned souls. In Purgatory we keep our eyes on the heavenly goal, but we also keep up the contrasting memory of hell. In hell, Charon had roughly taken on board the damned souls, shouting at them and smacking them like a guard herding people in Auschwitz. This angel in our present canto is graceful, not violent or abusive, even though he's not very sociable, and he blesses them and leaves as soon as his mission is completed. He returns to the Tiber outside Rome, where more souls of saved people are waiting for him to take them to purgatory. But, we learn, he does not take everyone on board at once. Some are left behind for a time. He chooses only a select number for each voyage, following some reasoning that remains a divine mystery to us. The boat speeds across the waters, reminding us of the almost cartoon-like speed of Phlegias back in hell as he crossed the river Styx to fetch Dante and Virgil. And we may recall the other boat we'd heard about in the Inferno that had sailed to this very region, Ulysses' boat going beyond the limits set for human travel and coming within sight of Mount Purgatory, only to be immediately spun in a whirlpool and pulled under the sea. He arrived here by the wrong boat, and for the wrong reason, full of pride that carried him too far, beyond proper boundaries. These earlier references remind us vividly that we are no longer in that hellish region, but up here, in the bright morning air, in the presence now of a shining angelic guide. The souls on the boat are singing in unison. That in itself is a great change. Nothing had been done in unison in hell, unison being a community endeavor, each person contributing a little bit to the general whole, subsuming personal identity to a harmonious whole in a way that was impossible for the egocentric, ruined souls down there. And what are they singing? In Exitu Israel de Egypto, Psalm 114, when Israel came out of Egypt and the house of Jacob from among the strange people. 
This will be the first of many psalms and canticles we will hear in purgatory. Psalm 114 is about Exodus, the movement out of the land of bondage into freedom, appropriate for souls just released from the limitations and pains of earthly life, now certain of heavenly freedom. Dante's original readers would recognize this psalm, in fact, as one sung at funerals. Here we are on the other side of death, and whereas many of the sour souls in hell lamented or resented their death, these souls are fully aware of the joy and glory they'll find on the other side of death. This announces the attitude of the people we will be meeting as we proceed. The souls quickly disembark and come over to Dante and Virgil, assuming they're old-timers here, ready to give them directions. Virgil gets to deliver the great comeback line, I'm a stranger here myself. But it's more than just a good line. Symbolically now, we can see Virgil and Dante aligned with these newcomers, all of whom are new to the place and destined to climb the mountain. Dante and Virgil, in other words, are part of a company, a community. No real strangers after all, even though, to everyone's amazement, Dante is still a living person. And then the encounter with Casella. There are two parts to their encounter. The first is Dante's question about why Casella is only now arriving at Purgatory, since we gather Casella had actually died a few months earlier. What took so long? Well, this gives Casella the chance to explain that the angel chooses only some of the many waiting souls to go across on any given voyage. Why? We're never told. What's important to notice, however, is that the souls who are not chosen do not sulk in resentment. They accept the delay, knowing that it's all providentially arranged. And if they don't understand why they're not chosen, then they're content with the divine mystery of things. They have now passed beyond the world of anxiety and self-seeking. They know that no matter what happens to them now, all will be well. We know nothing more of Casella than what we learn here, but we can recognize the great affection that must have existed between these two. Dante's immediate impulse is to embrace his old friend, but you can't embrace a disembodied soul. We'll learn a little more about the dynamics of this in the next canto. The old earthbound connections are, we see, not relevant here. Casella apparently was known as a musician, a singer, and perhaps also a composer. The being asked by Dante to sing a love song, something to restore his spirits, he, he's still traumatized by the long journey through hell, being asked to sing, Casella chooses a setting of one of Dante's own poems, Amor che nella mente mi regiona, love that converses with me in my mind, as the Hollanders translate it. A poem probably addressed to lady philosophy, but it could be interpreted as speaking of love for any lady. The point is, it concerns earthly love, which we'll learn in a second is out of place here. But we should applaud the gracefulness of Casella to sing one of Dante's own pieces as a loving tribute. There's a true relationship, ready to please the other person. But let's recognize the contrast between this song and the psalm we heard a little earlier. The psalm was sung in unison, no audience to applaud, just music for the joy of the words and the performance. 
Casella sings solo, for all the gracefulness, nevertheless creating the duality of performer and audience, drawing attention in this way to the skill of the singer and the writer. And that, too, is out of place here, as we discover in that abrupt interruption from Cato, like some scolding parent suddenly coming in on the kids doing something they shouldn't be doing. What do you think you're doing there? Stop it right now! Good old Cato, not a lot of fun, but then fun isn't the point, isn't the point of purgatory. There will be joy and bliss enough later. First, there's the work of getting ready, and there's no time to waste. We're not allowed to forget the movement of time. In hell, it was Virgil who pressed Dante to keep moving on, because they had only a limited amount of time to spend there. Here, there's a goal to attain to, a goal so desirable that we should want to get there as quickly as we can. Well, Cato puts those pleasures in their place. A love song, no matter how soothing and beautiful, counts for nothing. Nothing here for its own sake, but all for the sake of the task at hand, purification. Just as in the last canto we saw that the love you had for your spouse back in life has no relevance here in purgatory, so we see here that even the joys of beauty count for nothing. This is not going to be a playground. But as if to reassure us, Virgil remarks that, compared to the journey through hell, the climb up this mountain will seem like play. Well, we'll see about that. And our final view is of the whole company rushing off to the mountain, again working in unison, with Dante and Virgil part of the community. We'll meet again for Canto Three, which will feature some shady details. See you then.